Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you're a new listener or a longtime listener and just haven't done so already, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Megaphone, and Google. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be a, a little bit on the shorter side and keep it nice and concise because it's the holiday season and I'm sure you folks have plenty of things to do to keep you occupied. I am also kidding. I mean, you're going to hear my usual length of podcast, but I did want to give you a brief update on this schedule, which will be uh, legitimately abbreviated. I am currently planning to record on Tuesday and possibly Thursday, um, though it may only be one podcast this week on, on account of it being Christmas and uh, my holiday schedule is a little bit chaotic. So if you only get one episode this week, I apologize. I know you want to hear my dulcet tones a little bit more frequently, but you know, holidays are a hectic time for everyone. So Be with your family, have fun, and I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas or other holiday. On tonight's episode, we do have some really awesome news coming out of the game against the Minnesota Wild last night. Blake Wheeler has now set the franchise record for scoring for this team. The scoring record came on a very nice outing for the Jets, where everyone seemed to be on board with uh, a top performance from the team, especially against a pretty good team against the Wild. Minnesota, who have been uh, a bit of the whipping boy of the Central Division over the past couple of weeks, have actually started to pick up their play as of late. They're still not a top team by any stretch, but they're definitely not an easy out. The Wild can be a cagey opponent, and Winnipeg on the road, you know, past couple of visits have not been so great to uh, opposing rinks, so... Winnipeg put on a really nice performance, especially in the first couple of periods. Under the hood, this was actually a pretty competitive game from both teams. Um, the Jets were very good, and so were the Wild. It was a very even seesaw performance, but only one team actually managed to record goals. Winnipeg opened the scoring on a Blake Wheeler shorthanded goal, courtesy of an Adam Lowry feed on the, on the penalty kill. The Wild got caught up a bit along the wall. Wheeler and Lowry worked together to force a turnover, um, and Lowry had a nice little breakaway before he found Blake Wheeler coming in the slot on a 2-on-1. Goalie Alex Stalock really overcommitted to one side and ended up surrendering a nice little shorthanded goal for the Jets. Just before the end of the period, Mark Shifley also found a uh, found the back of the net with his 17th goal of the season, courtesy of Neil Pionk and Lucas Abisa. The shot from the blue line was tipped uh, right between his pads, so nice little goal. Uh, Winnipeg has started setting up a lot more deflections in front of net recently, which is kind of a difference from their usual scoring routes. They've seemed to be improving on getting traffic in front of net minders and trying to find nice little dirty deflections to generate offense when they aren't getting it from the usual method of just putting the puck on net from a, a greater distance. With that assist, Neil Pionk is up to 21 points in 36 games for the Jets, which is actually pretty impressive. I really wasn't expecting much from Pionk, but he's been very, very decent, especially given the current liabilities on defense for this team. I have to give Winnipeg some credit here. They found an asset who had some potential as a potentially decent second-pairing guy, uh, but even then I was I was expecting a lot worse from Neil than what he's given us. Without a hint of irony or even any real mention of drawbacks, um, Neil Pionk has been very decent for the Jets, and I think that that's something that should be looked at, especially going forward. There's definitely more to him than we all realized, and maybe the Jets were the first people to recognize it. Usually their pro scouting has been very hit or miss, especially on the guys that the team trades for. With Neil at the time, it just seemed like a bit of a throw-in from the Rangers, and Pionk's results with New York were pretty dreadful, so I think that everyone kind of agreed that the Jets were not really getting the right trade asset in return for Truba's services. Fast forward a few months, and the underlying numbers for Pionk are actually far better than they are for Jacob Truba. Now, granted, I think Truba has a lot of things going on, and, and playing under the Rangers' defensive system is probably not helping him. 
I think the biggest takeaway is that, in fact, the Rangers' defensive system is what's holding both of these guys back or, and held Neil Pionk back when he was there. Pionk's been a lot more assured with his decision-making, and I've actually seen him making more defensive reads and plays, um, especially near the net. He does still have some bad passing and, and decision-making every now and then, and sometimes on the power play I think he doesn't really know what his best option or route is. Um, even though it, you should usually go to Patrick Liney, he doesn't always defer to that option. That said, Pionk's performance this season has been pretty decent, and his scoring is very reflective of that, so I've been pretty happy with the acquisition. Winnipeg doesn't exactly have all that many right-handed defensemen to begin with, so having an actual NHL defenseman in Pionk is very nice. One might say it's something of an early Christmas gift. Patrick Liney and Nick Ehlers also recorded markers for this game. Uh, Liney actually scored two of them, one of which ended up propelling Blake Wheeler to the top of the Winnipeg Jets' Atlanta Thrashers franchise scoring lead. Wheeler found Liney on the left side after a lot of interchanging and passing near the perimeter between him and Morrissey. Liney, of course, didn't miss, and this was after Liney already scored something of a highlight reel uh, goal earlier in the game. Stalock both times was looking a little bit silly. I mean, this is what Liney at his best does. I mean, he makes any goalie look completely amateur. It's just how he operates. He must have known that I like watching him score because he gave me Christmas gifts of two goals, which I am very much appreciative of. Ehlers scoring also makes me happy. Generally speaking, the Jets scoring just makes me happy any time of day, but I have a couple of favorites, and I think we all know um, I have a, a particular affinity for the Scandinavian players. Speaking of guys who have gotten nice little points and goals, our wonderful very own Janssen Harkins actually recorded his first NHL point on an assist for Logan Shaw. That line uh, had a nice little zone entry and created a bit of an odd man situation, and Harkins kind of beat out his defender um, and kind of got around the side of the left flank. Um, and Shaw was coming down the center slot, and Harkins fed him a nice, perfect pass that he just blasted right through the goalie. It's a deft little bit of vision and a nice pass, very clean, very well executed, and it's the kind of thing that the bottom six right now doesn't have a whole lot of. I like to see that because I would love a, a more scoring presence from the bottom two lines. Right now, the Jets are kind of leaning heavily on their top six to get goal-scoring production, so Harkins might be uh, a bit of a necessary upgrade. He certainly brings a bit more to the game than Shaw and Luoto do, uh, so I'm very happy to see Harkins get an early reward for his hard work. He's like in the spot check class of players where there, there's some potential there for something of a middle six role, um, if not a definite bottom six option, and I'd like to see him produce. I'd like to see him kind of take this opportunity and run with it. If Harkins can cement something of a fourth-line or third-line role, even, um, I'd be very happy. Harkins has been, you know, slowly brewing and cooking with the moose, um, and he hasn't really played that much pro hockey, generally speaking. But his rapid increase in scoring in the AHL level and his early NHL production, which, you know, obviously we don't want to read too much into yet, it's just one game. But, you know, if it keeps translating, I, I would like to see him stick around. For once, Winnipeg is actually hurting for depth forwards who are quality. You know, Nick Shore was a nice acquisition, but we still don't have that much depth other than that. In-housing our solutions rather than Winnipeg's pro scouts identifying some crappy fourth-line forward that doesn't really bring anything to the table would certainly be more preferable. Hopefully Harkins is like the first wave of a couple of these guys. I'd like to see Chipisov at some point, and if Spachek ever makes it, yeah, I'd love to see him too. They'd certainly uh, check off a couple of my needs on my Winnipeg trade deadline Christmas list, and speaking of Christmas lists, Christmas is coming up this this Wednesday. I uh, almost forgot what day it was. That's kind of how crazy the schedule's been. Thankfully, BreakingTea.com has you covered if you've forgotten that you need to get the perfect gift for the sports fan who has everything. Head on over to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn for the latest and greatest in contemporary sports moments captured on wearable t-shirts and other gear. Take a look at their full catalog and pick out the perfect gift for the discerning sports fan who won't take anything less than the best. 
After crushing Minnesota 6-0, Winnipeg has something of a difficult test coming up tomorrow evening against the Montreal Canadiens. The Habs are, for lack of a better word, pretty tough. If the Canadians had a deeper roster and a bit more experience, I might actually put them as close to cup contenders. They're a very strong team in a, in a season where, outside of the Metro division, I think that the playoff field is pretty wide open. I think that there are plenty of contenders that could emerge um, through a bit of, of, of fortunate happenstance and goaltending. Montreal kind of sits a little bit more on the fringes of that competition, but I think that they're still a very strong, very good team, and it won't be easy even though the Jets are at home. Montreal has a very balanced, high-scoring offense, led by Thomas Tatar, Shea Weber, Brendan Gallagher, and Philip Deneau. I have to be honest, if you told me that uh, Weber and, and Tatar would be part of the leading offensive scorers for this team, I would not have believed you, especially in this year. Tatar, I did actually peg as something of a bounce-back candidate after he got traded from Vegas. I think that the Knights sort of gave up on him a little bit too quickly, and especially for the price that they paid for him. Weber, though, was somebody that I thought would start to decline a lot faster than he actually has. The Weber for Subban trade at the time seemed like a very definite win for the Nashville Predators when they picked Subban up. Incredibly, the complete opposite has actually occurred, where Subban is an absolute deadweight on the back end for the New Jersey Devils now, not even the Nashville Predators. He's with the Devils. Um, and Weber continues to be one of the leading offensive producers for the Montreal Canadiens. Whatever age-related decline I anticipated from Weber has seriously not hit yet, and it's kind of astounding when you think about the fact that he's in his 30s, and he's still putting up like 29 points in 36 games. That's not chump change, and he's seemingly having a pretty good year on the whole. The younger Subban appears to be declining a lot faster, and his production is nowhere near that of Shea Weber, which is just, again, kind of weird to think about. Montreal is also getting nice contributions from guys like Jeff Petrie and uh, former Jet Joel Armia. Max Domi has also been fairly productive, although he's not quite on the heater that he was last season. Uh, again, though, the Habs have made a good habit of finding guys who are essentially reclamation pro projects and turning them into bona fide top sixers. They've gotten very good at identifying under underrated talent and turning them into productive players for their own squad. Arturi Lekin and, and uh, a couple of other guys continue to support them. Also performing well is apparently uh, former Jet Ben Sherratt, which I really did not see coming. Sherratt has been one of their best defensemen and continues to produce in ways that I did not expect. He's been actively participating in their offensive rushes and continues to dominate competition despite the fact that he is still, in many respects, something of a second-pairing or third-pairing defenseman. I do expect at some point that some of his downfalls, especially in the defensive zone, will start to rear their head because I don't think that he's just going to keep being a good second-pairing guy forever. Right now, Julian seems to be doing a pretty good job of masking his flaws, but eventually, once some, uh, once some regression does hit, I think Sherratt's going to look more and more like the guy that we expect him to. I don't have any reservations about the Jets cutting ties with him because he wanted a lot of money, the Jets really couldn't afford it, and let's be honest, Maurice was never going to use him in a way that was going to mask his deficiencies. I'm glad he's finding success in Montreal, but I definitely didn't want to see him coming back in a Winnipeg uniform at almost $4 million a year. That's just not realistic for a guy that, while still competent as a third-pairing defenseman, really wasn't much more than that for the Jets. All of these kind of underrated and depth guys have helped put Montreal on the map as far as the playoff contender is concerned. As a whole, the team is fast, dangerous, but uh, they do have a, uh, a bit of a weakness in net. Carey Price is posting something like a 9.05 this season, which is pretty bad. So, Winnipeg is going to want to take an early advantage of his goaltending struggles and kind of get into Carey's head early on. Um, if they can kind of solve the goaltending issue, which they definitely have the advantage with Hellebuck or Bressois in net, I think the Jets should be able to take care of business. I think that the Habs are pretty good, but again, Winnipeg can beat them. For the most part, the Jets kind of have to stay out of their own way and avoid any defensive miscues, and, and also just not be stupid. You know, don't go to the penalty box as much as possible. 
the fewer mistakes that Winnipeg self-inflicts, especially unforced errors, I think that they'll be in much better straights, especially at even strength and on the, uh, on the power play. The schedule after Christmas gets notably more difficult, with Winnipeg facing two games against the Blues, a game against the Avs, and then in the start of January, a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. As far as the Jets are concerned, that's a pretty jam-packed schedule with teams that are all in playoff spots, or very likely going to end up in playoff spots if they aren't already. The games against the Blues, of course, will be against divisional leaders, and uh, the Avs are right behind St. Louis with a uh, pretty good pretty good record this season. St. Louis has five points on the second-place Avs, with one more game played, and an eight-point advantage on Winnipeg. So the Jets have an opportunity to close the distance by a pretty decent margin. I don't think that the Avs or Blues are particularly invincible, but the Avs are definitely a tougher team. They play a style that could give the Jets absolute fits, and the Avs have a really great top six. Winnipeg is very fortunate that Colorado wasn't able to land Taylor Hall because that team with Hall would be a lot scarier than it is now. As it is, Colorado will be something of a tough test, um, and I anticipate that they're going to be a lot harder than the Blues. I think St. Louis is also a pretty good team, but I definitely think that their 52-point season thus far is kind of, eh, I don't believe in it as much as I do the Avs. I think that the Blues are a bit of a duller team, and their style of hockey is effective. It's just not really something that I think would be all that great for the playoff run. I think the Avs play the kind of, you know, average but still fast-paced style that would make the Jets have a few issues. Big, heavy hockey doesn't work as well against the Jets, but fast-paced counterattacks with a lot of zone possession and nice cross-seam passing and movement, that definitely throws the Jets off. It'll definitely cause some problems for the penalty kill unit too, which hasn't really been all that effective as of late. I'd say if the Jets going 500 in their next four games would probably be a decent expectation. I'd like at least one more point out of an, like an overtime loss or something, but I'm not anticipating much. If they lose all four of their next games, I also wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Winnipeg is, again, kind of limping along at this point, and I don't know that anyone who was injured is going to be back in time for the next few games. The Jets are running out of gas and running out of time, so it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a stretch until they can reach the All-Star break. They've shown flashes of really quality play, but I don't know that Maurice is going to be comfortable with you know cutting them loose and letting them do their thing and give up defensive scoring opportunities um, for the opposing team. We'll see what happens, but the next few weeks are going to be pretty important for the Jets to at least try and make a run at the uh, the top of the division. Close out tonight. I thought I'd take something of a, a look at the 2019 calendar year and maybe even the decade for the Jets as a whole. A lot's happened for Winnipeg, and I think the the first thing to acknowledge is that well, the Jets came back. Um, of course, they made their return on the 2011 season, and the rest has been history for Winnipeg. A lot of people crap on the Atlanta Thrashers part of that franchise history, but uh, you know Winnipeg owes a lot to the Thrashers. Atlanta gave the Jets a pretty decent core, generally speaking, and some of their top players and picks are still around with us even today. The Thrashers gave us our captain in Blake Wheeler, many great seasons of Dustin Bufflin, um, some of the more underrated talents in their primes like Andrew Ladd and Brian Little. I know it's popular to disavow and disown that part of the franchise history, but I'm, I'm serious. Like The Thrashers gave the Jets a lot of talent and a lot of good years. I think it's important to be thankful for that because Atlanta sort of folding gave Winnipeg the opportunity to swoop in and take this team and bring uh, bring the NHL back to the great city of Winnipeg. We'll never know if another franchise would have had the amount of success that the Jets have had. I mean, you look at the original core that the Jets drafted essentially out of the Thrashers core, and there's a pretty decent team there. I know the first few seasons were a little bit lean and, and mean for the Jets, and I, I understand that the Thrashers core was partly to blame for that. But by the same token, the Jets did inherit a decent amount of talent, and they, they did a, a couple of things to build around that. Picking up talents like Shifley and Truba, and then eventually, for much further down the road, you know, Kyle Connor, Patrick Lyon, Nick Ehlers, 
All those guys helped to shape this team into what it is today. Out of the ashes of the Thrashers rises this new Jets team that has such a bright future. Um, And even though things have been a little bit up and down over the past couple of seasons, I think 2017-2018 was a real look into what this team could become. If 2014-2015 was kind of the peak of the sort of veteran, underrated, talented core from the Thrashers finally reaching its maximum potential, then 2017-2018 was what this young core could look like with a few more additions. The Jets were so close to winning the Cup during that 17-18 season, and I think that they can absolutely get back to that point if they are savvy and make some good draft selections and trade acquisitions. I do think that the coaching staff at some point does need to be reevaluated, And I'm not saying that Paul Maurice and, and company have to go, but I do think that they need to think about, you know, what is the best pathway forward for this team. There is ample evidence to suggest that the way that the Jets play is not really conducive to their talent construction and lineup. I think if they try to bunker and turtle all the time, it's just not going to end up all that well for this team. Aside from the 2014-2015 squad that was big, physical, and defensively minded, this Jets team has never been able to defend in its own end all that well. Winnipeg needs to embrace the identity of speed and counterattacking proficiency that they are absolutely designed to do. Winnipeg has a lot of fast, skilled, and uh, absolutely dominant offensive firepower just waiting in the wings to be activated. If the Jets move to a more progressive approach and an, an option where they, they don't defend as much and kind of focus more on zone transition and attacking, I think their results are going to look a lot better. These next few seasons are going to kind of be pivotal for the Jets because they're going to get some defensive reinforcements, but as far as forward reinforcements are concerned, this team is basically at what we're going to be seeing from them going forward, I would think. You know, at some point, Veselainen could maybe make the lineup, and I, I expect David Gustafson will have progressed a lot further along than he is right now. Um, hopefully into like a middle six or at least a top six center would be would be ideal. But uh, nailing down guys like Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry for longer term deals would be nice. Obviously, you don't want to give them too much too much term because depth players you don't want to don't want to commit a whole lot of time and money to. But Kopp is somebody who I would consider at least doing that for. If the Jets gave him like four or five years, I think that's pretty fair. Um, obviously, that's a, a long contract, but he is that good at his prime, and he's one of Winnipeg's best forwards uh, and really one of their best skaters. I trust Winnipeg scouts to identify draft talents that are underrated, especially in the North American sector. So, yeah, you know, I, I think Winnipeg over the past 10 years has built something of a very special core. Um, but it's incumbent upon the coaching staff to figure out the best way to get that core to its full potential and uh, ultimately a Stanley Cup t- a title. Connor Hellebuck continuing to play well would certainly be a start to that. Um, I think that he's shown that he can be an elite netminder in this series, posting a Vezina Trophy season, so... I'm more optimistic about that than I am the rest of the team. The forwards and defenders still have a lot to prove to me, and I think, you know, Mark Shifley this year hasn't been quite as good as he's been in the past. He's still very good, don't get me wrong. He's just, he's not the two-way dominant transitional player that he used to be. Defensively, he's starting to show some lapses that he hasn't before. Laine, though, looks pretty good. Ehlers is still as good as he ever was. Roslovic is improving at wing. There are a lot of positive signs from this team, and I think that they can fill in the gaps with some really skilled depth talent if they can insource it or find it on the trade deadline or waiver wire. This team has already had a taste of two playoffs over the past six years, and they're going to be doubtless hungry for a lot more than that. Even though I know that this squad doesn't look like a Stanley Cup contender right now, it's not as far off as it seems. I mean, everything on paper is is almost there. There are just a lot of pieces that they need for the defensive part, um, which they can both in-house and seek in trade value. The Jets have all the pieces to do something special. It's just whether or not they can actually bring it all together and get it to a, a workable point. That's the big question. Even though I'm I'm still a little bit reticent to say that this team is great, you know, I, I think that they have a long way to go before I could ever say that, especially right now. 
but I'm still a bit bullish on their future. I still want to believe in this team. The past has shown us some flashes of greatness, and I think going forward, Winnipeg can absolutely make lightning strike twice for this team. They just have to believe and, and work on some roster things and kind of play to their strengths. That's the big thing. Um, but going into the holiday season, we'll see what they do. If they make some trade acquisitions and, and movements, that'd be ideal. Santa needs to bring them more than a few gifts, and if one of those gifts happens to be a Stanley Cup ring, I'd certainly love that one too. I can tell you that right now. Um, but with that, thanks so much guys for listening. I hope you have a wonderful holiday, and as always, go Jets go!